No, because I've done that shtick before. You had the you had the face like you were waiting, like I'm funny. Welcome to Hero Shirid, a bi-weekly podcast where a couple of merry bookworms with very different reading tastes discuss books and the reading life. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. Every other month, we also share a book club-style discussion on one book we both read. On January 26th, we'll discuss a memoir, The Color of Water, A Black Man's Tribute to His White Mother by James McBride. Today we're talking about big books, books that are 500 pages or more. We'll share which tomes are on our TBR list and which ones we've read and loved. To find a list of every title we mentioned in today's episode, go to herejshered.org slash podcast for show notes. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Chelsea. Today we're talking about your favorite kinds of books. Is that accurate? Are your favorite books the chunky ones? I mean, you like big books and you cannot Yes, lie? but I've... Yeah, very true. Uh, but I don't know what the origination of that is. Like... Maybe I like the fact that I can wave around a huge volume and it's kind of a status symbol as a reader being like, yes, I am tackling this ginormous book. It's a thousand pages. I don't care. But <laughs> This is very Enneagram. I, I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I think so. Like if we're trying to really find out why I love big books, I think that's a big reason why. I remember really liking longer, chunkier books as a kid. And I think part of that was like, oh, well, if I check this out from the library, then I'm good for, you know, a few days. I don't have to go ride my bike back to the library for a little while. (laughs) Or, um, you know, I'm getting this one from the bookstore and it'll last me. Because I felt like there was a little bit of scarcity around books as a kid. Not like um, my parents never got me books But we mostly used the library, and so my reading was really limited to library trips and very rare trips to the bookstore. And I feel like there wasn't as much kid lit as there is now, especially for advanced readers who are in like that in-between stage. And so I was always reaching for longer books because they would just satisfy me for longer as a voracious reader but now as an adult reader whose taste is incredibly eclectic and I like to read a little bit of everything it feels like there's so much to read in so little time compared to being a kid when time just stretches out before you and you feel like you have an unlimited amount of reading time And so I feel like I'm less inclined to pick up those big books because that means that I'm spending a long time with this read when three other shorter books are sitting on my shelf that I'm really interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I've always enjoyed history books, which by nature are longer. Uh, I really like descriptive books, and I think it's bled over in a lot of my, you know, writing and the way that I, I'm, let's just say I'm not a man of few words. <laughs> Sometimes I use a lot of words when <laughs> fewer will do. Um, and that might be a nature of just reading a lot of books that are very descriptive and a lot of pages. And, you know, from a younger age, I was reading a lot of history books. I was reading big thrillers uh, by an author that I'm going to recommend today. And, you know, that's carried on into my adult reading life, but it just means that there are big books that are sitting on my shelf and have for years that I haven't had a chance to pick up yet. So it's daunting being a reader who really enjoys a thousand page books, but you know, somebody's got to do it. You make a really good point about genre because you do really like historical nonfiction. Those big biographies do tend to be pretty long, especially if they're covering the life of a popular historical figure. I'm thinking of a book that you don't have on here is Washington. Mm -hmm. The biography um, by Ron Chernow. Yeah. And that took me a couple of years to finish. And I've spoken about that on the show, I think previously where 
if it's that big of a book, I'll take it in sections and be reading mm-hmm. multiple books at the same time. But that even bleeds over into my fantasy books. I really like yeah. longer. And I like collections that are multiple books in one volume. Like my Lord of the Rings copy is a single volume that's over a thousand pages. And I offered that up to you when you were reading The Fellowship and you were like, "Uh -uh, (laughs) uh-uh, not happening. I don't like the heft of, I don't like feeling like I'm getting a workout in while I'm reading. I like an easier reading experience. See, I like like to do multiple things at once. I like to do multiple things at once. <laughs> you kind of started to bring in another thing I was going to ask you about is if you have tips and tricks for tackling these really big books, because yeah. I feel like you have done this a lot. So do you have any tips for us? Yeah, I mean, it's the simplest answer is to find something that you're really interested in and by nature of you know, looking at the genre you like, or if you're trying to find a memoir or a biography, finding a person that you're interested in learning more about. But don't look at a huge 500,000 page novel or history and think you have to finish it and consume it in one start to finish. Like I read Washington over probably a year and a half, just in periods of time when I was feeling my most sponginess I guess would be the word because a lot of those things are very Mm. dense and I'm never someone that says you have to only be reading one book at one time and especially if you're reading a big book you don't have to feel the pressure of trying to finish it all and that can feel a little daunting you know it's not only the weight of the book but it's the weight of okay I have to finish this because there's something else that I really want to read put it down and go read the other thing that you want to read Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's really that's really good advice. I also really liked when I was reading one of the books I'll talk about today, I put some book darts in or some little page flags for where I wanted to read each day. And it was just taking it in small chunks. So I read maybe a chapter each day, which was about maybe 30 to 40 pages. And then slowly over time finished it. But there was a period of maybe five months in between there where I didn't pick it up at all and just took a break from it. And then when I went back to it, the rest of it went pretty fast just because I had that that mm-hmm. break. Not every big book lends itself to that, though. I think sometimes maybe if you're reading a fantasy where you need to remember a lot of stuff, it might not work as well to take big breaks from the long book but it it might work to set it down for a little while i'd say that strategy works best for biography or history or something else related to like a more of a dense topic i think you're right with the fantasy that you need to consume that more closer together um but then that comes back to you got to find something that you're really interested in like if you're a big fantasy reader like me something that's 1200 pages isn't very daunting if it's characters and a writer and a voice and setting that you're interested in. I really like the approach that the ladies over at the Currently Reading podcast take. They have something called Slow But Steady and they do a little check-in with their listeners and the Slow But Steady read is just one book that you have that you are slowly making your way through and then that gives you space for reading other books, but there's your one slow but steady read is just what you're taking in really tiny chunks and intentionally reading slowly. And having a goal like that or having a book set aside like that as just a natural part of your reading life seems like a good way for someone like me who doesn't naturally gravitate towards big books to go about it. That's good advice. I like that. We can get into kind of more about reading strategies with some of the specific books that we talk about today, but first, I think that we should talk about our book reviews for the week. I'm excited to hear about this because the other day you texted me and said, I'm finishing my audiobook, (laughs) and I want to hear about what book you finished. So I'll piggyback off of, I believe this was a green light from Knox on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So 
you know, I'm not the only one who likes this book, guys. There's other people that like it. Um, so this is a relatively new release of, as of September 2020. The book's called Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. I think I've talked about Perlman on the show before. Um, I read a sports biography on Brett Favre by him called Gunslinger that I really liked. And this book covers the Los Angeles Lakers of the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty is the rest of the tagline. So I think this follows on the coattails of a very successful show this year on ESPN uh, that covered the Jordan Bulls. And um, that was kind of encapsulating the entirety of the sports universe. And so for people that are interested in that and like basketball and history, this might be a good book for you to recommend to someone uh, over Christmas. So... Essentially, it just talks about three egomaniacs that came together at the perfect flashpoint and created one of the greatest dynasties in the history of the NBA, but then how it all fell apart a couple of years later. So in the early 2000s, I hated the Lakers. I My brother was a fan, and I just didn't like anything that they were about um, because they were just that dominant and but behind the scenes there was a lot of trouble like Shaq and Kobe hated each other Kobe is a huge egomaniac Phil Jackson came from coaching Michael Jordan so he brought a lot of that stuff to it and what I like about what Perlman did is he's interviewing not only those three but the side characters from those teams guys that either didn't play a lot of minutes or were integral parts of bringing them their championships and it's those behind-the-scenes stories that I really like and the raw nature of, you know, these guys just really didn't like each other, and they rode it as long as they could until they just couldn't stand it anymore. So I like that conflict. I like how they're putting that against each other and then how it all kind of wraps up. Um, a key component for the entirety of the story is a sexual assault allegation against Kobe Bryant. Uh, So that's a trigger warning for people if that is something that concerns you. Um, But it does play a large role in the latter half of their time together. So that's just a fair warning. I think Perlman does a great job, uh, so much so that I picked up something else that he wrote uh, about the history of the USFL. And I'll be reading that sometime in the near future. It's always nice when you find an author whose backlist you want to go through. And especially for you who really has, I feel like lately your history reading taste has shifted a little bit more towards sports. I mean, I've always liked reading sports books, um, going back a long ways, even when I was a kid. I think the, I don't say, I don't want to say it's better now, but I think there's, more insight into in the social media age and an interest in like the late 90s early 2000s there's that nostalgia for people that are in their Mm -hmm. 30s late 20s and i think that's a big part of it too so i think authors are writing stories that people are interested in well i i have an audiobook recommendation as well i just finished this one the other day (laughs) i think that you would really like it too curtis I listened to The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, and this is a mystery novel, and it revolves around a retirement community. It's not quite assisted living. The characters are in their mid to late 70s. I think some of them might even be close to their early 80s. And they live together in this apartment complex community. And on Thursdays, the Thursday Murder Club gets together, which is just this handful of people who are interested in solving crimes. And they get together and they drink wine in the afternoon and they talk about murder. (laughs) These like little old people talking about murder and drinking and enjoying themselves. Well, when a murder gets a little close to home, they enlist themselves to help the detectives to solve it. And they go on all of these little adventures and um, somewhat dangerous situations 
particularly for people of their age, in order to solve the crime. And it's delightful. I think if you like the Lady Hardcastle mysteries, this is definitely another cozy one to pick up. I say that it's cozy. It's not cozy in the sense of everybody's just sitting around drinking tea all the time, but it's not, there aren't really any gory or violent descriptions, and it is British, so especially with the narration, you have British accents to enjoy and some of those Britishisms that people really like in their cozy mysteries. But this is the first in what's going to be a series, and I think that I'll definitely pick up more of them. I really enjoyed the characters. I thought that they were so well-written and had unique personalities, but the way that they all work together and mesh together is really fun. I thought that the commentary on friendship and relationships in older age was also delightful, and I almost liked that part more than the mystery. Like, I would just read a book with all of these people interacting with each other, and I thought that the narration was really good. So, Curtis, I think that you would like this one, and I think a lot of our listeners could get into it as well. That is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. All right, Curtis, should we get into the tomes, the really long books <laughs> that we have read and enjoyed? Sure. So I am going to first talk about one of my favorite fantasy books. And I've talked about the first book in this series repeatedly, uh, but I don't think I've ever talked about the sequel that much. And I'm choosing it for um, to talk about today because I'm in the guidance that you gave for me was all of these tomes should be 500 pages, but I'm trying to really go for a thousand pages on all of these. Good for you. <laughs> Over, overachieving. Um, so I've talked about the Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss before, uh, but the one I'm going to talk about today is the second installment in the King Killer Chronicle series, The Wise Man's Fear. So what I really like about this one is I can it's one of those books that I can remember where I was while I was reading it. I was in California on a training mission uh, before we went on a deployment years ago and it's that type of book where it's got memorable moments that I just remember where I was as I was consuming it. So I was just laying on my bunk, I was tearing through this book um and i made it through a thousand pages in a matter of like two or three days just because it was a word that we've used on the show previously unput downable and i think it just takes the story on a whole nother level comparatively to the first one so i always butcher this guy's name because i can never i, I never got it correct the first time before I started reading it, and then it's one of those that you <laughs> just continue to say it wrong as you read. So I always want to say Kaivoth, but I think it's Quoth. Um, so what I like about this story is we start to see a little bit more of the legend that he's created. The cool thing about the overall story is it's being told in present day uh, by Quoth to a storyteller where he's chronicling his life. And then in the sequel, more so than the first book, we're seeing some of the mysteries about how he got kicked out of this place called the university, how he's going around studying the wind and how his powers and how that just creates more of this mystique to him to the point where he's beginning in this book to hear stories of his own exploits, which I think adds to a little bit more about the character and you see that he's sort of reading his own headlines and having that impact how he's going to live the rest of his life kind of like a kobe bryant if i'm going to go back to my f first recommendation for uh the jeff perlman book so obviously i can't recommend this book if you haven't read the name of the wind uh, but i it's a rare thing where the sequel actually lives up to the first book and even takes it one step further. So, The Wise Man's Fear, a tome intimidating from the start, over a thousand pages, but worth it along the ride all the way to the end. A longer tome that I really enjoyed. I didn't look up exactly the page number on all of these, but this one was, I think, 
500 at least. I really loved reading The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson last year. And that was the longest book that I had read in a long time. Well, no, I take that back because I'll talk about Outlander here in a minute. But The Warmth of Other Suns is about the Great Migration. And Isabel Wilkerson is such an incredible researcher and storyteller. She tells the history of the Great Migration through three main narratives and this these are true stories she gathered the information from interviews and sort of combines these stories with other historical background information in a really seamless way that it doesn't distract from the narrative but just adds to it and I just really enjoyed learning about history through her storytelling. She's an incredible, incredible writer. And I I knew what the Great Migration was, but I, I only knew it as a really brief mention in a history textbook. And this really, really shared so much more depth of history. And it's one of my favorite nonfiction books. This is the book where I would just kind of take little chunks. I maybe read 30 to 40 pages at a time. Um, I did end up taking a couple months of a break in between there, but then when I picked it up again, I couldn't put it down. I do think it's a long book that propels you forward and you really want to know what happens. So I highly recommend it. And I know that it's on your list to read someday, Curtis, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Yeah, that one's definitely on the list um, and something that I'm looking forward to getting to eventually. What's up next for you? So this was hard to pick, uh, but in the same way that I wanted to pick uh, a fantasy book that I really like, I want to go for a thriller that is in the tome category. And this is something that I was referencing earlier when I was younger, high school age, uh, maybe a little bit, even a little bit younger, and was getting into Tom Clancy books. So this one is Executive Orders, and it's 1,300 pages, so it might be a little bit scary for some, but I remember finding this in uh, our basement of our house in a stack of books that uh, my great uncle had gotten rid of and we were just holding on to. And it, the binding is really worn down, and it just smells like an old book uh, from an old bookstore. And the story is what sets it apart comparatively, comparatively to other uh, Tom Clancy books. So we follow the same main character, Jack Ryan, um, made famous in modern times by John Krasinski, where he has taken over as president of the united states but is overseeing a country in crisis after a huge assassination of multiple people in executive branch uh, all, most of congress and all of the supreme court uh, and just like a wild mass assassination and then the whole time he's dealing with people challenging the legitimacy of his succession there's a war there's attacks on his family and I think what sets it apart from other Tom Clancy books is it's got the political intrigue that he's not really known for but then followed closely by a lot of the espionage that he's really good at and then a full-scale military conflict uh, escalating into like an actual war in the Middle East so that's a lot and each of those components could probably be its own book but you tie those all together and you have a huge Tom Clancy tome that I think is one of his best works. I did not expect to have Tom Clancy in here. Well, if you ask for tomes, you're going to have to look. <laughs> Legitimately, what I did is I had to go back through my uh, library app, and I could see by page length how long some of these books are. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Executive Orders, it's so good. And I haven't talked about it before. <laughs> All right, I hinted at this before, but I have to shout out Outlander by Dana Gabaldon because this series is probably the source of most of the long books that I've read over the last three years or so. Outlander is the first book in the series, and 
I don't know that I even need to explain it because it's a TV show now. I feel like lots of people know about it and have picked it up, but it involves really detailed history and time travel and romance. And Diana Gabaldon didn't even set out to write Claire as a character. She was just trying to write history she was just trying to write historical fiction about Scotland and the war on of Clodden or the Battle of Clodden. And there was this 1940s nurse that kept popping into her head as she was writing and she couldn't ignore her. And so then she ended up putting Claire in the book. And I just think that's fascinating that that's how this iconic character and then her iconic relationship with Jamie came about. And so I think that Gabaldon would say that her books are historical fiction primarily. And so there is a lot of really detailed history and research that goes into these books. So I think that that's part of why they're so popular is that they sort of branch across a few different genres. They're really long. They're definitely over a thousand pages each book. And I really like them. But I do tend to get about halfway through an Outlander book, pause, read some other stuff, and then pick it up later. I'm actually on on an Outlander break right now, and I'll go and pick up. I think I'm on the fifth book, so I'll go and pick that up later and come back to it. And yeah, I, I really like the series. It has its problems. Some things don't hold up very well, but it's definitely... It's definitely a good one. And I know a lot of people have really enjoyed it on audio, which is a great way, another great way to tackle super big tomes, I think. Yeah, the same thing that we said about reading books and sections can apply to when you're taking an audiobook in sections. Although I have found it's tough in that situation to find your spot and go back to it. So you have to have an app that's really good about returning to the spot that you were at. Mm -hmm. So this is a classic of military leadership uh, in historical fiction, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it in a tome episode, because it's another 1,300-pager. So this is Once an Eagle by Anton Myrer. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but it is something that's talked about a lot on required reading lists for military branches. Um, They teach it at West Point. It's in uh, the Marine Corps Commandant's reading list. And I've read it multiple times over my career, like when I was in school, uh, when I was a younger officer, and a couple years ago I reread it again, and it's just one of those books that you take away different things at different times. On the initial glance and on the surface, it's supposed to be this comparison of a clearly honorable military officer who is in it for the right reasons cares about his people and you're supposed to you see him as a model of character and then opposed with him is a career staff officer who uses political connections and doesn't really care about people only about uh, getting his way uh, as a lust for power but as always with time things aren't always as simple as they seem and I think the cool thing about it is it's been circulated in military circles for probably the last 20, 30 years. Uh, It was written in 1968. And there's kind of this new wave in the past two or three years of, is Once an Eagle like an actual good book of military leadership? And people are talking about this at the War College and at different echelons of the military being like, okay, we've used this example for years is it exactly what we want to represent to younger people, uh, junior officers, uh, enlisted leaders? Is is this supposed to be something that we want to talk about? So I think that that's fascinating too, is seeing how people's minds change about it. And that just makes me also want to pick it up and read it again, even though it's 1,300 pages. I love the idea of taking a look at books and saying, is this serving its purpose anymore? I sure wish that schools across America would do that with their curriculum. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there would be a lot uh, that we could chop, but that's an episode for another day. But I like to hear that the Army is doing that important, important analysis. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have to kind of uh, cheat a little bit for my last 
books or book on my red list here because after The Warmth of Other Suns and Outlander, I was like, mm, I don't really have any other stuff that's 500 pages. But I do tend to read books that are around the 450 or 470 page mark pretty, I don't know, more frequently. And Emma by Jane Austen is one of my favorite books, and that one is longer. I also really liked City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, which was a pretty chunky book, and I read that one pretty quickly. So those are the last two sort of bigger books on my read list over the last few years that I really, really enjoyed. But I have a lot more to share on my to-be-read list. So Curtis, do you want to round us out with your last... Uh, suggestion that you've read sure and this one just breaks the barrier it's only 500 and some pages but only (laughs) it's another fan (laughs) well i'm trying to talk about everything that's over a thousand chelsea but you know i'd be i have to talk about um one of my favorite series and one of my favorite authors and it's the fifth season by nk jemison so overall this is some of the best world building and characters interwoven together and describing an environment plagued by seismic activity. I I don't think I've read a fantasy author that provides better descriptions for a environment and for, I'll I'll use the word non-dialogue descriptions than Jemison does. I think she does a great job, and we've talked about that previously when we talked about the city we became. And I really think this is part of a high fantasy genre that you would really get into, and it's just over that hump of 500 pages where I think you wouldn't be overly intimidated by it. So the fifth season, N.K. Jemison, have read, have enjoyed, would recommend. I personally love N.K. Jemisin's Twitter feed. If you want to read her writing, but you don't want to read 500 pages, her Twitter is chef's kiss. Good job. It's so good. Well done. <laughs> don't you agree? Her Twitter is amazing. I would agree. She is, she's got a biting wit that is hard to capture in 280 characters, but she does a great job. All right, let's get into the books that are on our to-be-read lists. All right, at the top of my to-be-read list, well, I wouldn't say the top, but it's it's at the it's just the first one on this list. <laughs> it's probably not the one that I'll get to anytime soon, but it is eight hundred and forty-eight pages. So, getting up there, getting up there. I think that I would like to read. (laughs) Maybe listeners can let us know if I would like it. The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. And this book is about a queen and she doesn't have an heir and there are a bunch of assassins after her. And there is a lady in waiting and there's forbidden magic and There are dragon riders, and there's, like, an impending possible war. So all of that stuff sounds really cool to me, and the cover of the book is amazing. It's just, it's really, really big. I was looking at the paperback copy a while back when I was in a bookstore. I might have been in a Barnes & Noble or something, and I like picked up the paperback copy and I was like, whoa, that's still a lot. <laughs> I put it, put it back. <laughs> but all of those things sound really good, don't they? They do. Um, I've been interested in this one as well, and I've been hoping you would pick it up so I have an excuse to read it eventually. But <laughs> I don't know how long it is on audio, but it might be something that we want to do for a couple of road trips. Maybe. I will say I don't do as well with fantasy on audio. So this one is daunting, to say the least, uh, but it also has been released in multiple versions. So, of course, I ended up with the uncut and complete edition uh, through my travels through used bookstores. It is The Stand by Stephen King, 
which was first published in the 1970s and uh, was reprint in 1990 as the complete and uncut version, uh, which is over 1,100 pages. It's King's longest work to date, and what I like about it is he was trying to create an epic in the same spirit of The Lord of the Rings, but was set in a contemporary time. The plot centers around a pandemic. It's concerning a weaponized strain of influenza that kills almost the entire world's population. So if we're talking about, you know, books to read during a pandemic, I don't know if that's for or against reasons to pick it up, but it's also being turned into a miniseries by CBS, I think. So that's another reason to try to pick it up because I think they're good. it's going to be really good. What I like about it is it's supposed to be about survivors and groups and how they create a new society and confront each other. So I think last episode we talked about some of those same themes um, in our reader recommendations episode. It's got those post-apocalyptic tendencies uh, with a new society system and confrontation between groups that we talked about last episode with Station Eleven and The Road is books that I really like. And the volume of it is something that has always intrigued me and the fact that it's something that I like about Stephen King and it's his longest book something to me that says that's a obstacle and a mountain that I have to climb uh what's the next one you want to talk about so the next couple that I want to talk about are actually books that I do own so they are on my shelves anytime I want to read them I can grab them just haven't yet (laughs) this one I am really excited about though it's These Truths by Jill Lepore I really like Jill Lepore's writing. I have shared my love of her book, The Secret History of Wonder Woman, here on the podcast, and she is a prolific nonfiction author. This book, These Truths, she basically poses the question around these truths from, as Jefferson called them, political equality, natural rights, and the sovereignty of the people. And she poses the question, how have those things held up over the course of American history? If those things are the American promise, then she sort of does this broad overview of American history and examines how those are held up. So that's that's the foundation of the book. And she goes from 1492 all the way up to the present and examines historical events over the course of five centuries and just does a deep dive in American history in the great storytelling way that she does. And so I really like the premise of this. I think we deserve and we need more diverse representation in historical nonfiction authorship I think it's important to get a a woman writer writing about American history um, because it's a it's a really male centric genre and area of study, and so I just think her perspective is important, but also just the way that she's approaching American history is fascinating to me. So I'm really excited about this one. It is 960 pages or so. Uh, It is in paperback, which is better for me when I'm tackling a bigger book. I like paperback a lot. And it is These Truths by Jill Lepore. Before we share more of the books on our to-be-read lists, we want to tell you a little bit about Libro FM, our favorite audiobook subscription service. This episode airs what, like the second week of December or so, and people might still be doing some of their holiday shopping. If you are the kind of person that saves gifts for the very last minute, this year might be tough because of shipping times. And so we think that an audiobook subscription from Libro FM makes the perfect last minute gift. You don't have to ship it. You could print it out and put it in the mail in a really nice card, or you can just email it. But an audiobook subscription is something that 
people can get a lot of use out of and really enjoy, but it is an easy last minute gift to give this season. And because it's a subscription, it's a gift that keeps on giving for however long you have it. If it's the three, six, or 12 month membership, it's something that continues to pop up for somebody that you care about or for yourself as something that you can reach back to over the year. Libre FM is our favorite because with each download, we're supporting independent bookstores, and we would like to support our favorite indies so that we can be going on bookstore dates as soon as I get back from deployment. The Libro FM app is easy to use. It's super user-friendly. They have tons of recommendations from booksellers, and you can send gift memberships for three, six, or 12 months, depending on your budget. Or, of course, you could get a gift membership for yourself. Listeners of Here at She Read podcast can get two audiobook credits for the price of one, or you can send a subscription to a bookish loved one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the promo code H-R-S-R, or you can click on the link in our show notes. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Well, Ron Chernow gets another mention, and this biography that I'm going to talk about was circulating in 2017 as one of the better books of the year, made on a bunch of New York Times bestseller lists. It's Grant, uh, and it covers the life, presidency, and post-years of Ulysses S. Grant. What I like about it is I was actually able to find one that was still sealed in the plastic, and I haven't opened it from the plastic in the probably two years that I've owned it, so it is just waiting for me in pristine condition, because there's something that I like. If there's two things I like, it's big books and books in pristine condition. So (laughs) we call that a twofer. What I think is cool about this story is kind of similar to Alexander Hamilton, which he wrote in 2004. He's trying to change perspective about a well-known historical character. A lot of people know Grant as a famous Civil War general, but they have these opinions of him that he wasn't a very good president and he was kind of bogged down by drinking habits. And Cherno has been on record when he was promoting the book saying that as far as historical reputations go, he thinks Grant's is on the rise with a closer look. So what I'm looking forward to is the research into his struggles with alcohol and how that kind of changes him and affects him and how looking at his accomplishments over 100 years later might change perspective of what we thought we knew in a Gilded Age historical perspective. So I'm all about changing opinions, uh, and I'm a big-time presidential historian, so I'm intrigued to finally pick this up. I have another fantasy sitting on my shelf, and I picked this up from the library, and I got a few pages into it, and I liked it, but it's really long, and so I didn't think that I would have the time to finish it from the library, but then I found it on sale, and it's just really interesting to me. It's The Queens of Innes Lear by Tessa Grattan, and it's a King Lear adaptation. So if you bring Shakespeare into it, then I'm especially interested. It's 676 pages, and it, like I said, it's a King Lear adaptation and focuses on these three daughters There is a battle-hungry Kaela, the master manipulator Reagan, and a restrained star-blessed Elia, and they know that one of them needs to be crowned as sovereign and needs to resurrect magic so that they can defend their kingdom. And so there's this element of prophecy and fate and... uh, this competition amongst the sisters. This is the first in a series, and I've heard good things about it, so I am interested in picking this one up. I I really liked the couple pages that I read, and I love uh, retelling, so we will see if the Queens of Innislear makes it to my, uh, to my pile soon. So... This will be my last one, and I am also talking about a fantasy book, and it's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. 
rounding out all of my TBRs as over a thousand pages, nothing to shake a stick at. So what intrigues me about this one is I'm normally not into books set in a more modern time that deal with magic, um, but this is in 1806 and talks about a conflict between the French and the English, and there's a recluse who displays a large magical powers and how he's challenged by another magician, uh, Jonathan Strange, um, and who is kind of this polar opposite. He's young, he's handsome, and there's these two characters that have to work together for a greater purpose, but that are the antithesis of each other. So I look at this and I see kind of like a Watson and Holmes situation where you have characters that are dichotomies of each other but have to work together and the fact that it's so a lot of people in the reviews are talking about it as there's humor uh there's emotional things there's some scary otherworldly stuff so that's bringing in a lot of factors for me that i like in my fantasy so it also has the s or the additional bonus of being a show i believe so i, I can't remember if bbc did it or who but I like when there's a book that you can get into that you can also enjoy as a series. So, Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell, Susanna Clark. The last book I have on my list here is a book that I think both of us are hoping to read. And we do have the audiobook version in our Libro FM app. And I started reading it that way, but I quickly realized that this is a book that I'm going to want to highlight and bookmark and take notes on. And I just really need it in my hands. Fortunately, we also do own a copy. I'm talking about Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America by Ibram X. Kendi. And so, like I said, this is one that I started on audio a few months ago knew that I would really get into it and learn a lot, but I also just knew that I needed the book in my hands, and so I'm really looking forward to reading it in paperback soon. I've had the book on my shelf for a while, but yeah, nonfiction audio is really hit or miss for me. Curtis, do you think that you'll listen to this one or that you want to read it on paper? I mean, I just... I downloaded it a week or two ago, and now that I finished up um, my last audiobook that uh, I just talked about, I might start listening to it, or I might save it for my long plane ride home. But I definitely think there's topics that I agree with you that you want to pick up and highlight and have the physical copy, but I think this will be something that I do end up listening to on audio. It'll be interesting to kind of compare notes and experiences on that then. We will report mm-hmm. back. That's the beautiful thing about doing the show. <laughs> All right. The other beautiful thing is that we get to do our recommendations of the week. And this is really fun because we get to recommend an extra book or a movie or a podcast or whatever we are enjoying in the moment. So, Curtis, what would you like to recommend this week? So we're all looking for things in the background that we can either have on on the TV or something else while we're reading. It's the getting into the holiday season, so people are doing all the snow ASMR rooms and stuff like that. So I don't know if this actually counts as an ASMR, but it's Nick Offerman's Yule Log video on YouTube that I've been having on uh, while I'm reading and it's just him sitting in a den with a fireplace drinking scotch. So <laughs> to, to me, that qualifies as a relaxing ASMR room, but I don't know if it will for everyone. So that's, a, that's, that's more of a recommendation for me. That's so funny. I will include that link in the show notes, but I think that I will also round up a few of our other favorite ASMR rooms that are nice and cozy for this season, and I'll drop those in our newsletter. That's something that you can subscribe to at heredsheread.substack.com. I would love to recommend my new favorite podcast. I'm obsessed with it. I wish that they did more episodes, but it's just kind of like a seasonal thing where they release a few episodes each season or every few months. And I've maybe I'm one of the last people to know about this, but I 
over the last couple of weeks have absolutely fallen in love with the home cooking podcast from Samin Nasrat and Rishi Herway. Um, Rishi is better known from his podcast Song Exploder, and Samin is the author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the cookbook, and she did a Netflix documentary about that. And I just really love their friendship together. I I think that if you and if your favorite part of the Here at Sheared podcast is when Curtis is doing something ridiculous, and I am just kind of laughing, but like not really taking it. <laughs> Then I think that you'll Whatever love do you mean Samin and Rishi's dynamic. <laughs> I have no they idea what you're are... talking about, but sure. <laughs> They're really fun, and it's all about cooking. And I, I love to cook. I have been trying to sharpen my skills as a home cook over the course of this pandemic, where... I am at home a lot. And so this podcast is a really great way to do that and feel inspired in the kitchen. And it's just delightful. I sent Curtis an episode and I was like, I know that you don't like cooking, but just trust me and listen to it. And you were like, this doesn't look like something I'd be interested in. And I said, just trust me. (laughs) What did you think of it, Curtis? I mean, their dynamic is excellent. And I was laughing at the obvious puns and the fact that she cannot stand his puns um <laughs> and it, it it was very delightful and i and understand why you like to have it on um uh, just because it seems like you got some friends in your kitchen yeah absolutely that's an excellent way to put it all right speaking of hanging out with friends in the kitchen thank you all for hanging out with us today we hope that we kept you company at some point during your day for podcast news and reading updates, you can follow us on Instagram at he read, she read. And I mentioned our newsletter before. That's hereadshered.substack.com. And we try and post there about every other week. I haven't been great about it, but we'll pick it up again. <laughs> if you need a book recommendation or if you have a question for us, send us an email at hereadsheredpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Mark Anderson and Miles Eichner for our theme music. And thank you so much to Libro FM for sponsoring this episode. Before you go, remember, the couple that reads together tackles the tomes on their TV art lists. Nice alliteration, honey. Golf clap. You love alliteration. It's all for you. Golf clap. <laughs> <laughs>